You're listening to the Live Talk with Lamb podcast hosted by me, Todd Shapiro. Okay, thanks for hanging out with us again. Episode number seven with Brad Lamb. Uh, we've delved into many different things with real estate and your professional and personal life as well. Um, more personal stuff, Brad. We've touched on this in, in previous episodes. You know I love the personal stuff. Well, I, you're such an open guy. I know. It's like <laughs> check, therapy. Check out my, my Instagram see how personal I am with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just lie down on the black couch. We'll really yeah. open up here. Um, it must be so stressful doing what you do, and I know you've touched on it a little bit, like I said, but what advice would you give people, and, and especially people listening right now, on how to deal and manage that stress? Well, there are people that can manage stress well, and there are people that can't. My, for instance, my father, who's a phenomenal guy in many ways, was flawed in some ways too, but if my dad borrowed $10,000 and he owed money, he had ner- like a literally nervous breakdown about it. He could not handle any kind of stress, nothing. Um, I am the, the opposite of that. I seek to put uh, an inhuman amount of stress on myself because I'm not happy unless I'm squeezed or under the gun. I just don't like living unless I feel I have big problems to solve. It's just the nature of who I am. So even when I, if I'm doing very well and everything's perfect and there's no problems, I always kind of over push myself not to create problems because I, I don't want problems, but I like, I like to solve problems. And so that's a unique personality. And, and so f- for my profession, if you're not that kind of person, if you're completely risk averse, you should not uh, go down the corridor and open the door into the developer world because you will not be happy. But if you're the kind of person that thrives under stress and pressure and risk, then it is the, and, and if you are that kind of person, it's exhilarating, you know. So for you, when you put yourself in these situations, and I would imagine always new projects, sort of uh, leveraging more money and, you know, kind of this stuff, always, always going in. Do you, though, like ever second guess, go, why am I doing this? Why don't I just chill out on a beach somewhere? I never second guess about chilling on a beach because I've done that and I don't like it. Okay. Like lying on a beach in the hot sun with coconut oil in my body. Uh, first of all, I'm white. <laughs> that doesn't feel so good. But outside of that, it's boring. Uh, I'm not doing anything or learning anything. I, you know, if I was doing that, I'd be reading a book. You know, I would just be lying there. But I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is it, it, you thrive under under stress. And, and I think that is, like you said, a very specific personality type. How would you then help others thrive under stress as opposed to letting it really consume them like you said it might have your father with a little bit of debt i think that mechanisms to help cope with stress the first thing i would say if it pertains to investing let's say is do your homework so you know by and large what you're doing right so for instance with a piece of real estate that's making sure that the values are roughly where they are versus the price you're paying uh, that the income you're looking to get is is bona fide and you can you can show it and, and prove it to yourself, that you can qualify for the financing, and that you have a little bit of room there for mistakes, right? So meaning money behind you so that if something happens in the economy or with your job, you have the ability to make it still work for you, right? 
you can manage stress if you take the, the potential negative things that could happen to you off the table. I mean, that's something I do. I always look at what could go wrong in the future. I always try to see it before it comes. I look years in advance in my career to see what's coming and what could hurt me, and am I protected against that potentiality? And so that's what, what an investor could do. If they were risk-averse, they could do that to protect their decision so that if something happened, it wouldn't be so stressful. Stress is all about being able to sleep at night and not worry. You're never going to be completely worry-free when you take your money and invest it, but, but I would say doing your homework is the first thing you should do. The other thing is, don't second guess yourself all the time, and do not listen to the noise. Hmm. You know, there's all, and I've said this before in previous episodes. You know, all my life, I've heard every single year of my life uh, since I've been selling real estate, which is 1988, I heard the market's going to crash, the market's going to crash, the market's going to crash every single day. Today, I hear it. I heard it a year ago. I heard it five years ago. I've talked to more U.S. hedge funds trying to short the Canadian real estate economy in the last 15 years. been to so many seminars where I spoke about it. If you're buying a property, we're talking about property mostly, you're buying it for the long term, so who cares what happens tomorrow? It doesn't matter, right? But the other thing is, is that there's going to be all this noise that's going to scare you from ever making a decision. You know, I have developer, uh, some developer clients I work with that are not the greatest developers, okay? They're... They're uh, small-time developers, very risk-averse. They just never do deals because nothing ever looks like it's going to work, right? You listen to the outside noise. It scares you from making a decision, scares you from going forward, makes you work on really negative numbers, right? If, you, if you're looking at a house and it needs 1600 to carry and you can see that it would make that and you factor in 1200 it's not going to work, right? And so I think that that uh, you have to be a kind of personality eventually that filters out all the naysayers. There's always people going to be telling you you're an idiot, you're doing the wrong thing. You know, the chicken littles, the lobsters pulling you back into the, into the lobster tank, right? You just have to do your homework, and then once you've made a decision, stick with it. It'll really help with stress. How do you compartmentalize on the day-to-day? So I'm able to have unbelievable tragedy happening in my life and put it in a box and still come to work every day and do what I have to do. I find most people can't do that. They, when there's something going on in their life that's uh, disruptive, it shuts them down and they can't focus day to day. And I, I don't think it's teachable. I think it's personality. And, uh, and I think also that's probably why some people are very successful. You know, often people ask, why is that person so successful? Why do they deserve it? What are they doing and I'm not doing? Well, some of the things they're doing are just, it's not even that they, that they deserve it because in many cases it's just, I'm going to say God-given. I don't believe in God, but let's just say that's the term I'm using. Some things are just people have. LeBron James is six foot nine and really strong and athletic. That's a great start for being a good basketball player, right? So some people just have skills that other people don't have, and it's going to make it easier for them to achieve success. It just, you know, it's the way it is. What, what, would, be a, what would be a situation, Brad, where you have been out of character and extraordinarily stressed out by something, and then maybe how did you get through that one? If there is. No, it happens every day. I mean, right now, my life is unbelievably... This, right now, I'm, the, I'm in the worst position in my life, stress-wise. Really? You look great. Well, you, you wouldn't know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't no, know. But, but, but I am. And um, so what I do is I, I think about the problem I'm having, and I think about what are the ways I can break it down into little 
pieces and solve those problems, right? One by one, so there's no more problem. And that's kind of how I do it. I break it down into little issues and I say, oh, that's not so big. If I can solve that issue, then that's good. And then I can move on to the next thing. So I, I work away and I chip it away at big problems and make them smaller problems and they're manageable, right? But sometimes things get out of control and, and there's really, you know, they, they run their own course and you just have to live with them. And, and that's where I said, you know, that you have to be able to live another day and, and have something, you know, you buy things with some conservative financing and money in the back pocket to make sure if things run out of, because they will sometimes, you know, a runaway train and you maybe can't always fix it. You need to be able to fix it with money sometimes. With the large amount of staff that you have here at uh, Brad J. Lamb Realty and, and your development corp, you said it's not necessarily teachable how to deal with stress, but do you try and manage some of your employees in a way to not be as dramatic, to show less stress, to solve these problems, much, you know, the smaller problems? Here's how I do that. Okay. I absorb all their stress. <laughs> I take their stress. Well, that's nice of you. <laughs> no, really. I mean, so, you know, I, so I don't share. Like, listen, there's some key people here that always know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, my brother knows most of what's going on, and there's other people. My brother's a, a partner in one of my businesses. Yes. Um, but by and large, what I do is I, I know I can handle the stress, so I mostly keep it to myself, and I don't always share exactly what's going on, exactly why I'm doing things. And sometimes they come and say, well, why are you doing this? I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. I have it under control. I know what I'm doing. Um, sometimes it's impossible to hide. Like, if a project's doing badly and it's costing us more money than it should, and it's not selling very well, I can't hide that. Uh, and in that case, sometimes there's, there's, they feel stressed about that. But at the end of the day, their stress level is based on their risk. And they know they're going to have a job tomorrow. And, that you know, so, I mean, they don't have the same risk as the person that's actually putting the greenbacks on the table. Someone's trying to grab them. Is it... Is it- uh, difficult for young realtors who who get in the game in terms of stress. You know, maybe they they're not they're having a difficult time selling projects or homes or condos, and knowing that it's not that consistent sort of two week paycheck. Yeah, well, that's so the realtor side of our company. There, there's tons of stress being a realtor. It's a terrible job. It really is. It's one of the hardest jobs to be successful at. Everyone shits on real estate agents. Oh, you know, they just make all this money, they don't do anything. It is it is a very, very hard job. One of the hardest jobs I've ever done because it's hard mentally. It's not hard mentally because you have to solve tremendous mathematical equations. I've done that before. That's You follow certain laws and rules that you understand. That's actually not that hard. But... Getting up every day going, I don't know how I'm going to feed myself or my kid or put gas in my car or pay my rent or my mortgage or anything, that's tough. And you, got to, you, you have to use your wits. And, um, and, every, you know, and the thing is, when you're working with someone, and, and let's say they want to buy a million-dollar property, and that could be a $25,000 fee to you, they can't sense that they're a $25,000 fee to you. It's the only business where the people that pay you don't really know they're paying you, right? Like if I go to a lawyer... I know that guy's charged me $700 an hour, and I kind of resent that, but I know that, right? But as a real estate agent, people work with real estate agents and think, oh, it's free. They just do this because they're nice people. They don't understand always your how they get paid. Yep. You buy a house, and the seller pays a commission that gets split in half between their agent and your agent, and that's how they get paid. And so you can't show a consumer that they're inventory. 
And they are inventory, just like any other thing's inventory, right? They have to feel special and highly serviced and you're available at any time of the day or night for their call or their text and you have to return it right away and they're the most important person in the world while they're in your world. You know, this kind of stuff. And by the way, that's what you have to do. And so sometimes if that $25,000 is between you and, and losing your home, and it can be, you know, you got to be pretty good at, at not letting that take over the situation and actually represent them the way they need to be represented uh, and not in a way that's going to seal a deal for you necessarily. It's, it's tough. And I think getting up every day trying to figure out how you're going to find clients, because it's all about finding clients, it's very stressful. It's a very, very tough job. What about closing the deal and not pushing a product on someone that they don't want? But is that a stressful process? Just know, like, you know, sensing the excitement that a, a commission will be coming in. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what would, advice would you give to them to sort of manage that, not show someone that it's, it's about their commission, it's about their happiness and their right purchase? Well, so it's a double-edged sword, right? So some of the guys that I've worked with in the past that, as agents, when they start off, they're so green and they're so, you know, I just want to help people and... They act like it's not a job, like it's some kind of, uh, you know, like you're a superhero, like super house guy that you're finding people's houses and saving them money. You know, that's admirable. But I'll tell you, after 10 years of selling houses, that's what you see is someone comes in, you think, okay, they want to buy a house. I want them to buy a house. I want to get them the best house they can get for the best price. But I have X amount of bandwidth time to work with them because I'm a business person. I'm a consultant, really, and I get paid when I am successfully find someone's house. So it changes. It becomes more about the agent and less about the consumer when you have more experience as a real estate agent. Now, that's obviously something that you have to balance, right? But when you first start, it's all about your client. Like you're just like, I, I just want to do a good job. That's all I care about. And you want to do a good job. I'm not saying that's not the case, but it becomes more balanced, right? It's 100% about the, the client when you start and you're running around doing all this stuff for free because you don't know you shouldn't be. And not, you know, like not checking the customer out to make sure they actually have any money and they could buy a property and get a mortgage and they have a credit rating that's, you know, worthy of getting in your car and driving around. Because by the way, that costs money, right? So, yeah, I think, I think that uh, what we try to do with the agents that come in here, we try to um, we train them. We've all, we have 30 or 40 different training courses we give. They have access to me. I talk to them all the time about where your head has to be. It's a balance. You're servicing your client. You're doing the best you can for them, but it's a job. You've got to get paid, and you've got to think about how you're going to get paid. What about the balance of just turning off real estate at night, going out, having a drink maybe, uh, smoking a joint? It's legal now, obviously. Uh, do you, I mean, is it important for for new realtors or in any business just to make sure, in, back to compartmentalization, like to, to, to somehow separate yourself from what you do? I am a proponent of that. I think So I think you need to have a balanced life. I think you need to eat properly. You know, people... Uh, go to McDonald's because they don't have any... Listen, I go to McDonald's sometimes too, but they go to McDonald's because they don't have any time to have a proper meal. You need to take the time to take put the right things in your body. You need to exercise. Your, your exercise is so great for your brain and for your physicality and for your organs. You need to read and educate. You know, I find for me, you know, you asked me about my life being stressful and I'm telling you, it is wildly stressful. I, if I told you all the stuff that goes on a day, you wouldn't believe it. I'm just saying that one of the ways you can balance your life and ease some of the stress, if you have a stressful work life, is, and real estate agents do, 
despite the fact that the public thinks it's all, you know, cupcakes and, and snowflakes, it's not. It's tough. So one of the ways you can release stress is to go out and have fun. What about all the no's you get as a developer? Uh, no's from the city, no's, you know, all these hassles, no re- height restrictions, all this kind of stuff. Uh, that must drive you nuts, but it must also cause you a lot of stress. So how do you deal with that? And then how do you put on a good face to those people telling you no, knowing that you have to have a nice rapport with them and a good relationship too? Well, I think it helps to be uh, someone who sees the world in a positive light. Okay, so as I said before, I see the glass always, always half full. Sometimes I see it full when it's empty. It's like, yeah, it's going to get there. So, you know, I don't listen to no. When someone says no to me, I hear, yeah, later. That's a yeah, later. So I'll give you an example, right? So when we launch a project, if our prices are out of whack because the market's not accepting me, I'm like, okay, we'll be patient. We'll wait. We'll just pull it back a little bit and we'll wait for another time. And eventually we get the right formula to sell our product. It's never easy to sell these these condos from floor plans. It's never easy. We always find the right formula through patience. So it's just about, you know, don't listen to what people say. Believe in, believe in what you're doing. And don't, I don't listen to other people. I, I'm not saying I don't listen to anybody, but generally I listen to myself because I've rarely let myself down. And, and, uh, and so another example would be um, when I take a project um, to, uh, to the city for a rezoning, um, never in my never in, in, in anywhere I've gone has have they clapped their hands together and said this is fabulous let's get started and they always they're always negative it's certainly in Toronto they're always negative and uh, you know that's that's wearing right because you're like fuck and jeez another three year battle ahead of me or four year battle the way I look at it is I have enough stuff I'm doing that I just put them in the queue and I'm like okay we're gonna roll up our sleeves today and fight this one. And that one is down the road and the fight's going to come. I don't get down on my business or myself or our projects when I'm told they're not, like when the neighbor says he doesn't like it, I don't care. When the, and when I say I don't care, I want to I be clear about this. That's going to sound arrogant like, like I don't think that people should have an opinion on what I build. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I don't care what you think. You're welcome to your opinion. I'm welcome to my opinion. I want to build what I want to build. I don't want to build what you want to build. Like if you're building a house... You want to build a house for you, not yeah. for me. <laughs> Same thing. When I'm building a building, I don't, I don't care what you think. I care what I think. But you have a right to care what you think, right? So uh, same with the city. When I talk to the city, I don't particularly care what they say. I have to listen to what they say because I have to realize there's certain rules, certain basic fundamental rules we have to try to live with, right? So I try to package my building so that I can find someone out there who has the authority to approve my project to approve my project. And that's always been the OMB for us, pretty well most of the time. Now that the OMB is gone, it's a whole new challenge. And I got to tell you, I don't know the solution to that challenge. I have a lot of products still in the queue going through the old style OMB. I have enough work for the next three or four years. In three or four years, I might just go, fuck it, I'm done. If we don't have a solution to this problem, then I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've got a lot of time. And I believe, I have faith that the current system in place saws Ontario Municipal Board and purely just planners and councillors, which is completely one-sided and not, not fair to, to anyone in the city. It means that all of the planning and all of the design considerations going forward for anything in the city being built lies in the hands of bureaucrats and, uh, you know, a municipal uh, election, right? 
It's not, they're not experts, right? So yes, the planners are purportedly supposed to be experts, but the counselors aren't. They're, they're the people that really hold the vote to whether some, in our system, they're the ones that approve property development at council, right? The planning department may say, we support this or we don't support it, but the counselor is the one that pushes it through. And so the system, so, and I think most counselors are, are responsible. I think planners try to work to the best, but we need a third party to weigh in when we say, well, wait a minute, you're offside here. Let's take it to someone else who has another idea, right? And that, that's been the OMB. So we've, we've always dealt with those kind of problems the same way I do with any problem. If someone says no to me, I don't necessarily hear no. I say, okay, it's not yes, but it's not no either. I'm going to push that no to a yes somehow. And we work towards doing that. You know, just for purpose of time, we'll, we'll try and do this one quick, Brad. But that, that risk or, you know, you talk about projects in the queue. And I think, you know, just maybe speak to that a little bit for people listening about almost learning from those experiences. Does that help you with deal with your stress the older you become, the more you experienced you become? And because and, I think that's what a lot of people who are new to any industry their first investment and it goes down, their first failure and how do they learn from that. But I think the more you kind of have, the more you, you're supposed to be a sponge of information from learn to not make the same mistake oh, oh, twice. Listen, absolutely. I'll tell you, when, when the Great Recession happened in 2008, 2009, I watched very carefully every day what was going on. I now know, you know, that situation when it's coming. Of course, you can't always see it sometimes for the trees, but I think I'm better equipped now than I was. And also, I realized how I had to be prepared to get out of that, like what it was going to take to save myself and my company and my employees in that situation. And I'm very cognizant of what I need to be to do that. So we do that now. And the other thing is, I had a, I had a bad project failure in Ottawa called Gotham. Now, it wasn't a failure from the standpoint of the building. It's beautiful. It sells really well. It's probably the nicest building in Ottawa that's finished. Our next building is, is going to rival it called Soba. But financially for me, it was a stinker really bad. And it was really stressful. I had to fire the, the plumber, the electrician, the ceramic tile guy, and the, and the, the general contractor building it. And I had to take it over uh, in the completion stages. We got it done. We learned how to do it. We had huge fights with, with trades. You know, we, we had to negotiate payments with trades. It was a horrible situation. It lasted three years. We're finally pretty well out of it just now. Uh, and what I learned is how you do a workout in a project that's gone bad, almost like a bankruptcy. It wasn't a bankruptcy because we paid everybody and, you know, uh, you know, some people lost a bit of money. But, but at the end of the day, and we didn't make any money. We made zero profit on the project. So it was all working for free. But the building is there and it's beautiful. And I learned to, to spot how that would happen. Uh, and I learned how to get out of it so that it wasn't a real big problem for a bank or a lender and how we worked through that. And now I have that skill I didn't have before. If I'd only had massive home runs and success, I would be worse at what I'm doing now than I am because I've had that failure. And since then, I've had another failure and failure. Another project didn't go well and a third one. So out of the 20 or so, 20-some we've done altogether that we're in the middle of, I've had three not good ones. So I'm 85%, you know, triple the home run, double the home run, let's say. And I've struck out three times. But I've learned each time. And I'm getting, getting better and better at being a developer because of that adversity. Fail forward, manage your stress. All very good lessons from Brad Lamb. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. Yeah, thank you. That was great. 
If you have any questions for us, please hit us up at info at lambdevcorp.com. That's info at lambdevcorp.com. If you enjoy listening to Live Talk with Lamb, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks.